and welcome to the Outside In Radio Show with me, Amber. And me, Freya. Thanks for tuning in. Today's headline is the Hartlepool by-election results and for our key political concept, Freya is discussing adversary politics. And for our main segment today, we're talking all things Harry Potter, so stay tuned for all things wizard. Um, And for today's good news story, you've probably heard of adopting penguins, lobsters, elephants, polar bears, but did you know that you can now adopt a gargoyle? The Friends of Notre Dame de Paris organisation has created the option of adopting or donating money to a specific gargoyle, painting or statue in the Notre Dame Cathedral to help restore them after parts of the cathedral were damaged in the Notre Dame fire in 2019. Several of the statues, such as St Paul and St Bartholomew, have now had enough donations to be restored. Others, like the gargoyles named Foras and Antalian, have not been so lucky. You can also donate to the restoration effort as a whole. And this week's etymology of the week? The word kephalopod comes from the ancient Greek words kephalos, meaning head, and pous, meaning foot. So kephalopod basically means head foot. The class Cephalopoda includes animals like squid, cuttlefish and octopuses, whose feet and head aren't really that separated. Um, okay, now politics breakdown. For today's headline, we're covering the Hartlepool by-election. Um, we were going to do all of the local election results, but um, as of Friday morning, not many have come through. So we're just going to do Hartlepool, which came through about an hour ago. So the Hartlepool by-election was called after the Labour MP Mike Hill had to resign following some sexual misconduct investigations. We covered this a few episodes back, so go and listen to that if you want to. It was held yesterday along with loads of local elections around Britain, including Scottish Parliament, London Mayor and Police and Crime Commissioners. So since the Red Wall losses for Labour, Hartlepool would have been a good seat for them to keep to show their possible recovery, but they didn't. Um, They kind of kept it in 2019 because of a Brexit party vote meant that the Tories didn't get enough to sort of get more than Labour. But now the Brexit party has no influence and a new Tory MP, Jill Mortimer, was elected. She's the first Tory since the seat formed in 1974 and she won with a majority of about 8,000 votes, which is quite significant it shows a 16-point swing towards the Conservatives. Um, She said her win was a truly historic result and pledged to work tirelessly to bring jobs and investment to um, the constituency. And the Labour leader, Sir Keir Starmer, is expected to comment later today on the loss. And now on to the key political concept, Freya. Thanks for that, Ruby. We're now going to move on to today's key concept, which is adversary politics. Adversary politics is when there is a deep and broad disagreement between the two main political parties. The big example of this is Margaret Thatcher, as when she became Prime Minister for the first time in 1979, she broke away from the post-war consensus with her neoliberal ideas of dismantling the welfare state and pushing for the idea of the individual. Some argue that our current UK political system does in fact encourage adversary politics. This could be shown through our first-past-the-post system, where a winner-takes-all approach, whereas one political party who wins a majority, which makes it less necessary for parties to work together. It also may create a two-party system, 
so voters could feel like they have a binary choice when voting, for example, our two main political parties now, which are Conservative and Labour. Another example of this is the House of Commons, where it's set up on adversarial lines, with the government and opposition facing each other. Okay, and now on to our main segment. Um, so we thought we'd do a Harry Potter main segment. Um, Freya and I have both been big Harry Potter fans in the past. Um, Massive. I am, of course, a Ravenclaw. What are you, Amber? Currently, I am a Ravenclaw. <laughs> Pottermore has sorted me into every single house except for Gryffindor. Currently. So, currently, I'm a Ravenclaw. So, um, but yeah. So we thought we'd sort some celebrities for you today. Uh, we did have a few suggestions on the Instagram. So we thought we'd just go with those. So first up is Ariana Grande. I have to admit, I don't know her exceptionally well. So what are your initial thoughts? So when Freya and I were discussing this um, with songwriters or singers, um, we thought if they write their own songs, they're probably more sort of in the Ravenclaw area. We were looking at Ariana Grande and it seems that she has a team of people write her songs. She has input, but um, yeah, so we ruled her out of Ravenclaw. Sorry, you're not smart enough, Ariana Grande. <laughs> um, I think we were thinking more along the Slytherin approach. She's quite ambitious. Yeah, and before anyone says that Slytherin is not just the evil bad house full of elitist people, it's also through people who are really ambitious, really cunning, and we think that she actually fits this category quite well. Yeah, so a couple of years ago, she um, beat the chart record of the Beatles, and obviously the Beatles were quite a big success, so it's quite an impressive thing to beat them on the charts. Yeah, so sorted, Ariane Grande, you are in, in fact a Slytherin. Moving on, we also suggested Cardi B. So, Amber, what do you think? Well, I was thinking about this, and I thought Gryffindor, maybe, Um Again, I don't know much about Cardi B, but um, my pop culture is not on point. But um, from the sort of interactions that I've seen with her, she seems quite outspoken, quite ambitious. Um, she doesn't really hide away. Um, yeah, I think Gryffindor. Yeah, I'm pleased with that. Recommended by our very own politics breakdown, Ruby Herbert. We are now going to talk Taylor Swift. So, uh, yeah, we, based on our songwriting Ravenclaw thing, Taylor Swift obviously writes her own songs. So, Ravenclaw. Or could she be, in fact, a Slytherin? Because, as you know, she is a very widely listened to artist. The fact that, at the moment, she is re-recording all of her old songs to make sure she gets complete ownership of that that's quite a slivering move to get up the ladder to um get more ambitious yeah i think ravenclaw and slytherin have a lot of crossover um i think you were saying earlier that sometimes you're sorted into slytherin or you have like a lot a high rate of slytherin behavior <laughs> i don't know or traits yeah because they both have crossovers of kind of wanting to find out more information for example to pursue ambitious but ambition, but also to pursue knowledge. So I think both of them kind of have that driving aspect for both of them home. So final verdict, Amber. Oh, I think Ravenclaw. 
You're sorted, Taylor Swift. You're officially a Ravenclaw by two teenage girls. Okay, moving on. We have requested to do the royal family. Obviously, that would take a lot of time to do all of them. So we picked our top three. Um, yeah, so first of all, we have sorted Prince William. Um, Freya, would you like to explain? Well, we were thinking perhaps along Ravenclaw lines. We know that he did very well at school. He went to St Andrews, which is a good university across the country. Um, and also I feel, you know, he's quite smart. You know, he takes care of his family in his own way. He seems fairly well read. Yep. Um, so, William, you are sorted. Um, and then our next was Prince Harry, who we were thinking more Gryffindor, Hufflepuff lines. Obviously, his work in the army, um, quite brave. And then Freya said sort of more Hufflepuff. Yeah, I think you can also Hufflepuff vibes because it's really important to remember, like, loyalty is a really big trait for Hufflepuff. And the fact he's kind of stepped down a bit from the royal family is a major role and kind of made sure to support his wife and child. I think that's quite um, Hufflepuff in their own way. Because it's that kind of fierce loyalty that you have, the bravery from the Gryffindor, but also that um, loyalty and family values, which is more associated with Hufflepuff. Um, and then finally, we thought we'd sort the Queen at risk of sort of treason, I guess. But um, uh, yeah, the Queen was difficult to sort. I think we found traits in her that went for all the different houses, I think. Um, but we came out with Slytherin and Gryffindor, we've got written down. Um, I think again the sort of protection element and like yeah the Gryffindor sort of standing up for I think the family. It's, it's also big on her big thing is duty above everything else is what's been perceived of her obviously we don't know her personally but you know putting duty above everything else you know that's quite chivalrous that's quite brave and also that kind of ambition and kind of making sure that the royal family's always in check, always got good press. You know, she's got a big job on her hands, and I think that these kind of dominant personalities of both Slytherin and Gryffindor really fit her. Yeah. Um, so let us know on our Instagram what you think, whether you agree with us or not. Um, but moving on from that, obviously we've sorted a lot of these people into several houses. Um, so Freya, do you think people have just one house? Or, like, obviously I've had several <laughs> results on Pottermore from all different houses except Gryffindor. So do you think that people just have one? I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I do think people just have one house. Obviously, we are all human, which means that we can't just have, oh, you're the smart one, you're the ambitious one, you know? There are so many different things that make up us as people. But there has to be some kind of dominant personality trait that kind of shines through. Another leading theory in this area is not just <laughs> such a nerd. It's not just about, you know, you having these traits, but how you value them. And this is where kind of cases such as Peter Pettigrew, who is, was sorted into Gryffindor, was in fact a coward. This is why some people think he was sorted into Gryffindor, as although he was not himself brave, he valued that trait. And that's therefore why he was sorted into that house. We also got a little voice from the back with our producer, Alice, saying a really interesting note as well to add to this theory about this is how big families such as the Weasleys 
also get to just smush into one house, but they're taught to value something. So, for example, in this case, Gryffindor value brave, value chivalry, and that's how they all, in fact, smush into this house. Um, and that's why, you know, like Percy Weasley, who is clearly, clearly a Slytherin, must I say, <laughs> but, you know, this is how he gets thrown in with the rest of them of Gryffindor. What are your thoughts on this? And is it even ethical, Amber? <laughs> Frey mentioned this earlier. Is it ethical to just sort people based on one personality trait? I'm not quite sure where you're coming from, but I think, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's kind of ethical. Well, the problem that, that happens when you decide to put people based on personality is this breeds a very kind of mono, in, what's it, monolithic? Mono? I'm not sure. <laughs> but um, no, I get what you mean. Like, yeah, if you're interacting with people with only your personality trait, like it creates a very sort of tight knit community that maybe, I mean, obviously in the books and things like all the Slytherins are sort of seen as evil um, and maybe being in a common room in the dungeons all together might breed that personality trait and maybe make them less accepting of others. Um, yeah, so if you're not sharing that community, you're putting... Um, for example, there's a there's a group in Slytherin who are elite, pure blood families that value or have ambition, and you put them all together, and that just breeds negativity, and they're less likely to have interactions with people who disagree with them, and that means that you know they go out later in life leaving unchallenged thoughts. Yep. Echo chamber says our <laughs> producer Alice completely. Yeah. Um, my point about having just people in one house, I think, is that people are sorted sort of age 11 before they've started secondary school. And also a lot of magical children obviously haven't really been to primary school or not that not that we know of anyway. Um, and I think like my personality anyway changed a lot during secondary school and like I'm very different to who I was when I joined Notting Hill Kneeling sort of age 11 so I think like obviously maybe the sorting hat looks a bit into the future I don't know certainly with like Neville he he very much comes into his own in the bravery department like towards the end of the seventh book so I don't know but I, I think it's difficult to sort someone based on their personality trait like at the beginning of a very important time in like the formation of a personality. And it's also interesting, this is where we get hat stalls and people exhibit multiple personality traits. Taking um, Amber's example of Neville, you know, you know, Harry always says it's up to you, but in fact it's not. As we see with Neville, he begged, begged to be put in Hufflepuff, but alas, was not allowed and he saw into the future. But could we argue that being put into a house isn't that a self-fulfilling prophecy in itself? If you believe yourself to be of that trait, are you more likely to to reflect that in the future? Quite possibly, I think so. Um, okay, so we'll now move on to our next question. Um, so obviously there was the Cursed Child play came out several years ago now. Um, and there's been a lot of sort of debate about whether it's canon or not so if you don't know canon is when a piece of work 
um, usually in reference to literature, was written by the original author um, and is sort of seen in line with the original plot. Um, so spin-offs and fan fiction um, is considered non-canon um, and a lot of people have thought because J.K. Rowling didn't write The Cursed Child by herself, she had input, but there were lots of other writers, I think, mainly Jack Thorne, um, that maybe it's not canon and maybe what happens in that play isn't necessarily part of the first plot line. I think people worry as well. I mean, worry is a bit of a strong word. I mean, it's <laughs> just a book series that... Um, these characters is not it's not fully in line of what we know of them and we've grown to love in those seven series you know the fact that Cedric Diggory turns into a death eater um <laughs> spoiler alert seems quite an improbable concept to some people um but perhaps that kind of gives it that reactionary nature that arguably is probably creates a cycle of people buying more tickets uh, and therefore just give more money into J.K. Rowling's bank account. Was it, you know, because we needed that story? Or was it simply because she needed more money? What's the priority here, Amber? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I think also a lot of the plot points seem quite... They're the sort of thing that would happen in a fan fiction. Like, if you read the things that fans have written online... Like I'm not going to go into too much detail in case you haven't seen it or read it, um, but it's just they're quite random things to happen. <laughs> it's not really like okay, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but like you know, um, Bellatrix Lestrange and Voldemort have a child. It, it that's very like fan fiction esque. You don't. It, it's not something that you'd think the original author would come up with. It seems quite pluck it out of thin air, you know? Devil's Advocate, do you think that that's kind of the beauty of it, that it's able to explore things far out the realms that we already know, that that kind of gives it something which fans actually haven't seen before? I suppose it's quite nice because you often see that fans might ship a couple, so, like, um, I don't know how to explain that. <laughs> uh, Want them to be in a relationship. There you go. Um like and often original authors won't play to that you know if they write a sequel or whatever it's not really because obviously they have an idea of where the story's going um and I guess it's quite it's interesting that J.K. Rowling I don't know whether she chose to pick up on things that had been written in fan fictions or whether she just it was already in her head but it's interesting to see that from the author because it's not something you expect and it's almost quite nice just that your dreams can come true kind of thing. <laughs> uh, we're now going to broach the topic of J.K. Rowling and her recent controversial tweets, shall we say. Um, for those of you that don't know, um, J.K. Rowling responded to a post about a year ago uh, which was discussing people who menstruate um, and she responded with a tweet, people who menstruate, I'm sure there used to be a word for those people, someone help me out, Wumbun, wimpund, wumud. So obviously here she's trying to say that women are the only ones who menstruate, um, which we know f there's from scientific research um, shown that women aren't the only people who menstruate. Um, for example, trans men also menstruate. Um, and also, you know, not all women menstruate either. 
uh, the fact that, you know, some medical reasons as well as some people are women who are menopause as well. It's not just uh, a binary thing as she has presented. Um, after this tweet, she published an essay on her blog um, about why she'd spoken out on sex and gender issues, which states a lot of fact, uh, a lot of points as fact, but she doesn't actually cite any scientific journals or anything. Um, and many have deemed her comments in this essay and on some tweets to be transphobic. So many people have found this to be problematic because the Harry Potter community has always been a place where people have felt very safe and protected. And, you know, an extension of that is there are actually a lot of people uh, in the Harry Potter community who are queer. Um, and they may simply enjoy the series or see it as a form of escapism from bullying, homophobia, transphobia or any family problems they may face. Um, yeah, and obviously the Harry Potter series has a lot, well, it has a sort of general message that everyone should be treated equally. There's a lot of issues dealt with, like prejudice um, against muggle-borns, like pure bloods versus muggle-borns and the elite and that sort of thing. Um, so, and there's also the importance of friendship and that bravery comes in many forms. Um, and because of these messages in the series, I think many people found or like took solace from like the hardships of the real world um, by diving into the world of Harry Potter. Whereas in contrast of all this kind of sentiment with the fans, some people feel quite downhearted or even offended when the author of the series comes out with comments that could be considered transphobic and not accepting of the own community, which is actually built. Um, yeah, and a lot of people, like after all this controversy, um, have cancelled her. Um, and a lot of people are pretending that she didn't write Harry Potter. So I've seen TikToks like where people have painted over her name on their copies of the books. Um, and there's also a lot about, you know, watch the movies illegally, like on pirating websites or whatever, um, and borrowing the books or buying them from charity shops so that J.K. Rowling doesn't get more money. Yeah, there's also a thing going around as well saying she who must not be named, which of course is a reference to Voldemort in the, in the movies and the films and the books, obviously. So on he who must not be named. So it's kind of just continuing that sentiment. So is this right, Amber? What are your thoughts? Well, well obviously it's sort of partially a joke saying that she didn't write Harry Potter. I mean, people aren't saying that she actually didn't write them. But um, I think it also sort of downplays the impact that she still has and also the fact that there is still a community around those books and if you remove her from that community you're sort of removing the effect she has on the actual Harry Potter community and I think it's just sort of like there are problematic things in the books um, and removing her from writing it writing them sort of doesn't hold her accountable for those things um, so yeah I'm not sure it's the right thing to do. Like, I understand the sentiment because obviously she did offend a lot of people. But yeah, I'm not sure if it's exactly the right thing to do. It's also important to note, this is not simply a case of people on the internet getting offended. Since the public influence JK Rowling has means that her sharing these beliefs has real world consequences. She has an influence on public opinion and therefore has an impact on legislation that can actively discriminate against trans people's medical rights and protection from violence. Um, so an example of this is a Republican Senator, James Lankford, 
um, quoted J.K. Rowling when he was when he successfully argued against a bill to expand anti-discrimination protections for LGBTQ plus people, which is obviously going to have a real effect on people's lives. Yeah, so to wrap up, you know, it's a very nuanced debate between J.K. Rowling and the controversy surrounding her. But it's always really important to think critically about authors that you support and series. Now, you know, I'm a very big Harry Potter fan. That's never going to change. So make sure to bear this in mind. Okay, now we're coming to the end of the episode. We want to talk to you about applying to our radio next year. So as we mentioned last week, obviously we'll be handing this over. So we're looking for year 11 to take this over from us. And the best part of applying is if you get the radio, it is completely your own. So it's very flexible to whatever suits you and your schedule. You do an episode every week like us, every other week, every month, or even every half term. And if politics and etymologies don't take your fancy, then you could talk about anything you like. If you're interested in music, you could look at an artist a week, that kind of thing. Um, The radio's been a brilliant opportunity for us to improve our confidence. This time last year, I would never have dreamed that I could talk for any number of minutes off the cuff or with a script and put it out to the school. It's also a chance to explore your interests and share them with the school. Any niche topics you want to talk about, the radio's the place to do it. If speaking doesn't pique your interest, our tech wizard Alice is keen in the production of every episode and uses Logic Pro and all the music equipment like microphones, which would improve skills for any aspiring producer, musician, sound engineer or tech person. If none of that persuades you, it's a great opportunity to put on your UCAS form. Um... So for the application, um, we're looking for maximum 300 words in any format. So you could DM us, email us. You could even do a voice memo or a video so that we can hear your voice, which is obviously important for the radio. Um, We wouldn't have to see your face in a video, though. Uh, What can you bring to the team? Any ideas that you have? What would you hope to gain from the team? That's all stuff you can put in the application. Um, but really anything that you think would make you a good candidate. Um, The deadline is the 11th of June, so that it doesn't clash with any exams that you have, and you'll have the half term to get your application sorted. Um, And to finish off the episode, we'd give a shout-out to Aria in Year 12 for pushing herself to try out new sports, even though she considers herself not very sporty. She has now been playing water polo for six months. Well done, Aria. Yup. And as always, follow us on Instagram, drop us an email or DM us, let us know your achievements, big or small, and we'll shout them out. And we are looking forward to getting those applications year 11. Thank you for listening. Bye!